Uh, if you remember, the last we didn't meet last week because of the snow, but uh, two weeks ago when we met, I simply spent the time talking about men and women, and they're different. I tried to liken it to a basketball team. On a basketball team, you have centers and forwards and guards. If you have a team of all guards, you're probably going to get whipped. If you have a team of all centers, you're probably going to get whipped. You have a different people with different athletic abilities, and that makes a basketball team. The same is true of a business. You have in a business, you have some personalities that are salespeople. You have certain personalities that are accountants. You have other sales, I'm sorry, personalities that are managers and, and, and that will work a line in production and those kind of things. If you had all salesmen running a company, you're probably going to be in trouble. If you have all accountants running a, a, a business, you're going to be in trouble. So we have that. Then we looked at the local church, and we found out God did the same thing in the local church. You have different people with different gifts. You have comforters, you have exhorters, you have givers, you have teachers, and you have different people with different gifts. If everybody had the same gifts, this church would be in a lot of trouble. And uh, there we are. We are called lively stones. We are not called lively bricks. We are not uniform, all made out of the same mold. And then we got to marriage, and you know what? God did not make us clones. He made us different. And I say, praise the Lord for that. There are certain attributes that men have. There are certain attributes that women have. And together they come together. They make a union that represents God together. All on our own, we miss the boat. But together, that's the way God designed us. So from the principle of a basketball team to the principle of a business to the principle of a local church to a marriage, he made different people with different gifts, and that's what we spent most of our time doing. We looked at the structure of men and women before the fall. We looked at men and women after the fall, and we looked at men and women when we're in heaven, and there we were. Today, what I would like to do is to look at the family. God did make the family uh, and he made it so the man was to be 51%, 5149. Um, there's a preacher, Vody um, Bachman, and he says, anything with two heads is a monster. And that's the way he made marriage also. He made one where the decision is there. And we've spoken on marriage before, and I'm telling you that, uh, and it's still true, uh, in, in our 25 years of marriage, there's only been one or two times where Deb and I just couldn't come to a decision. And I had to say, this is what we're going to do. And it turned out one time I was right, and one time I was wrong. And the time I was right, I didn't do the victory dance and go, ha, ha, ha. And when I was wrong, she didn't do the I told you so. There was a decision that had to be made, and she understood I was doing the best I could, and based on the information... But I think after 25 years of marriage and being able to talk through everything and to get to a place where we could come to a consensus and only two times in 25 years that happened, I think that's probably a pretty good thing. Okay? But anyway, that's the way God designed it. So I would like to talk about family and gender as it relates to um, a head of a household. And that's where we are today. And then, Lord willing, we'll finally get to the place, the third installment of this issue I want to talk to about is family integrated worship, why we all are in here with um, one month old and a 90-something. We worship together, and that'll be the last one. Okay. So with that being said, let's get started. And uh, God's design is for the husbands to rule and lead and for fathers to rule and lead. Okay. Uh, Let me give you a quick little review. In Genesis 3.16, 
we found out that when Adam fell, as a male, he, he sinned in a certain way, and a curse was presented to him. And when Eve fell, she sinned a different way, and a different curse was given to her. The problem was, is the curse that was given to men fell through to all men, and the curse that was given to women fell through to all women. So the curse was, the sin was different, the curse was different for both men. And we find out here in Genesis 3.16, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. He's talking to Eve and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire to be thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So what happened was, is after the fall, part of her curse was he said, you're going to have, when you have babies, it's going, there's going to hurt. Sometimes you're going to have miscarriages. Uh, your husband is going to rule over you, and you're not going to like that, and you're going to fight against him. He said, that's the way it's going to go from now on. But thankfully, when Jesus comes back, all that will be solved. Okay? Number two, 1 Corinthians 11.3. This is the way God set it up. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So we look at this, and even though you're saying, okay, well, well um, what is, what is um, the man? The man is the head of the woman, but guess what? The man is in submission to God too. So it's just not carte blanche. And most of those passages that says, wives submitted to your husband, it always says, as unto the Lord or as, as it is fit unto the Lord. If he tells you to run the getaway car and robbing a bank, you can say, I'm not obeying you. You got it? I know that's a silly example, but it says, as it is fit in the Lord. So there we go. And then my last one is Ephesians 5, 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be subject unto their husbands and everything. So just as the local church is likened. See, the thing is, is the way God set up the local church, he, he used marriage as a pattern. So the church submits to Jesus Christ, and wives in a like manner are supposed to do that. Okay, that's a little bit of review of last week, but I just want to make sure we're on the same page. I want to talk about fathers, too. Fathers are supposed to lead. Here's something that's really interesting. In Genesis 5-2, notice what it says here. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day they were created. You know what he did? He called them Mr. and Mrs. Adam. She took his name. Got it? There it is. Mr. and Mrs. Adam. It was his, his the lead. Okay? Genesis 21, 2 through 5. I want you to notice this. It seems like God's trying to tell us something here. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, and at the set time of which God had spoken, and Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. You think God's trying to tell us something? Got it? And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. In other words, you know what he's saying? He says, Dad, the responsibility of that boy is yours. You may be passive. You may be ignorant. You may purposefully delegate, but the responsibility is still yours. That's what he's telling them, okay? And then one more. Here's a parallel just to drive this point home. For Mary conceived, 
and bare God a son at the set time, and God called the name of his son that was born unto him, who Mary bare to him, Jesus. That's not scripture. But do you understand the principle? Would anybody balk that Jesus was God's son and Mary was his mother, right? Well, it's the same thing with Abraham and Isaac. The responsibility was God's. That's the way God looks at it, and that's the way he set it up. Now, we live in a culture that's trying to tear that very fabric of that arrangement to pieces. I want to share a story with you. This is something that happened to me, um, I'm trying to remember, probably about 20, 25 years ago. As as most of you know, I had a career, this is long before I was preaching, I had a career in investment banking. And I was in that career for investment banking, and and then I got married, and and, and I had three little boys, and then my wife passed away. And then I was a widower with three small boys, and I decided to go into education, not knowing this crazy lady would ever take myself on and my three sons. I went into education so I could be on the same schedule as my boys. So I became a teacher. I went to school and I had to take a handful of classes to be certified to become a teacher. And in one of those classes, I took a class and I had some classmates and there were two girls that came from Israel. Now, you got to remember, I'm doing this, I'm almost 40 years old and all my classmates are in their mid to early 20s. They're calling me pops. You got it? I was the old man in there. So, so they're in there and these two girls that came from Israel were sharing their experience. And both of them grew up in something called a kibbutz. I don't know if you ever heard of that or not, but a kibbutz is a Jewish commune. And what that does is a group of people will get together and they will gather and they will like get a plot of line, land and may, they, maybe they farm it. And together, all the assets are theirs, all the work are shared, all the income are shared, all the kids are shared, all the homes and the property are shared. So it turns out what happens is, is you get married and they tell you when and how you can have your kids, but they raise your kids and they discipline your kids and they tell you how many kids you can have and when you can have your kids. It's based on Marxism is what it is. So these two classmates of mine are sharing the story and they're sharing it with the whole class and it's interesting because all the females in the class were going, ooh, that sounds wonderful. And the guys are going, ooh, yuck. And here's the old man thinking, you know, like that. And they're sharing it and someone finally asked, well, I noticed you're both married. Are you still in a kibbutz? And they said, no. And they said, well, what happened was is when we were in there, we just couldn't marry the guys in there. We just weren't attracted to them. So we looked outside the kibbutz to get men, and we married. And then they shared their frustration because they're trying to get their husbands to join the kibbutz. Kibbutz, I hope I'm saying that right. And they were totally repelled by it. And the women are frustrated. So up goes the old man's hand. And you can tell when I asked. Let me get this right. The organization that demasculated the men that you found unattractive, so you went outside the organization to find some masculinity in the men, and now you're trying to push them back in there? 
to dis- demasculate them? I said, I don't get it. You know what happened? Teacher shut that conversation down real fast. Matter of fact, he shut me down for the rest of the semester. But I, I just didn't get it. Well, I'm reading about it, and I'm telling you, that was about 25 years ago. So I'm getting ready for the sermon. I'm looking it up. I want to make sure all my facts are right. And sure enough, all my facts are right, and you can look it up. It's K-I-B-B-U-T-Z. You can look it up for yourself. But I noticed they've tweaked their communes. They found out that the families were not strong. They found out that the men were not strong. So they've had to alter their arrangements of family and the responsibility for men in their communes. And I'm scratching my head. Is any surprise when you go away from God's pattern, stuff doesn't work? Doesn't surprise me any. Well, that's what was happening. So what I'm saying is, as I share that with you, is our nation, our current culture, you've heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child? No, it takes a mom and a dad. That's God's pattern. Does mom and dad need help from time to time? Yes, but they're still responsible. You got it? Okay. <clears throat> so what I would like to do is I would like to look at Scripture and see what it says. I, I, I know what's going to happen. Let's see here, okay? So God gives some warnings. I, every time I talk about a subject... The first thing you hear out of someone says, but what about Deborah the prophet? What about Deborah the judge? Y'all, Deborah was a curse. She was not a pattern for how the church and things should be going forward. Israel was a nation with a bunch of sorry men, and he said, okay, I'll live. You have a woman run your rule you. We'll look at it. We'll see it in scripture. Josiah was a curse. Not you, brother. (laughs) A little eight-year-old king. King Josiah's father was a bum. His grandpa was a bum. So God says, men can't run your country. I'll give you an eight-year-old. He was cursing them. He was judging them. He was not giving them a pattern for future generations. Okay? And Josiah, you were named after a good king. Okay? Okay? But we're not going to ask you to pastor the church. That would be a curse. It would at this point in time. Give him another decade or two. Could be a blessing. But right now, that would be a curse. Let's look at scripture, okay? Ecclesiastes 10.16 says, Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child and the princes eat in the morning. In other words, when you get to a point and children are ruling... Watch out. That's a, that's a country in trouble. Okay? Josiah was not a solution. He was a stopgap until a man could be prepared to do it the way God adore, designed it. Okay? Isaiah 3, 1 through 4. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay of the staff, the whole stay of bread, the whole stay of water, the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the prudent, the ancient, the captain of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, and the cunning artificer, and the eloquent orator. I guess that would be me, right? 
And I will give children to their princes, and babes shall rule over them. When a child is governing, that is God's judgment. That is not God's pattern. When men are being ruled by the children, when children are ruling the roost, that is not God's design. Okay? Give you a second witness. Isaiah 3 and verse 12. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and to destroy thy way of thy paths. And I share this because this is not God's design. And when it is happening, it's still not God's design. It's not his tolerance. It's judgment. Okay? Now, if... Don't get me wrong. When women are leading... You know who is one of my favorite English rulers? Margaret Thatcher. She was wonderful. It still doesn't mean it was God's pattern. You know what it means? There wasn't any men to stand up and do it, so God let a woman do it. She did it better than the men. That's God's judgment. It's not God's pattern. They needed a mama. At that time, in England's history, they needed a mama. I'm afraid because I get a lot of downloads from England. So maybe I'll get the emails. But she's one, she's one of my heroes. I mean, her, she was wonderful. Okay? Okay. So let's go to Judges. I want to talk about Deborah just for a second. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and Ehud was dead. He was a good judge. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, and reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, Sisera, which dwelt in Heresh of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And I, we, we, we did a study on the judge that God picked. He was a name, guy named Barak. Remember him? And do you remember what Barak did? Deborah came to Barak. See, Deborah was not God's general. Deborah put God's man who was afraid in my, to be mindful of what his duties was. And Deborah said, Barak, you get your army together and you go fight those Canaanites. And you know what Derek, Barak responded? He said, I'll go if you go. You're, 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 what kind of general goes into battle with his mama? Right? But that's exactly what he did. Deborah was a judgment on Israel where there was no men stepping up to be men. That's what the case was. Second Kings 21, 20 and 21. Now this is when Josiah became king. Notice what happened. Ammon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name, and it goes through all that kind of stuff, and it says, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father did. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. You know what he's saying? He's saying Israel's king was evil. 
and his grandpa was evil, God took both of them out and he let an eight-year-old be king. Do you really think that's God's design for future generations? It was a judgment for bad leadership. And it's sorry to say an eight-year-old did better than dad and grandpa. But that's not the design of going forward. And Josiah grew and he gave him good teachers and counselors and he grew into a pretty good man. All right, so let's go forward. And let's, let's talk about fathers and husbands that don't lead. And let's look at the results. Okay, so I want to go back to the beginning. And we're going to go with Adam and Eve. And I want to look at two examples of husbands that failed. And I want to look at two examples of fathers that failed. And I want to look at the consequences in God's word about how that works out. Okay? Number one. We're going to look at the very first team, husband and wife team, that's Adam and Eve. So let me go through that one. This is kind of a review of two weeks ago also. This is in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thou shalt surely die." And what we did notice is that command was given to Adam because when the command was given, Eve had not even yet been made, right? So here we go, and Adam and Eve are in the garden. So now I'm in Genesis 3, 6, and 7, and it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves aprons. Oh, this is what we stressed last week. Eve ate and nothing happened. It doesn't say Eve ate, and then her eyes were opened, and then Adam ate, and then his eyes were opened. What it says is she ate. Adam's looking at, I know the hey, nothing happened. Nothing happened. So then he ate, and then there was a fall. Why? Because the commandment was given to Adam, and it was him. In Adam we all fall. In Adam we all die. It didn't say, in Adam and Eve we all fall, in Adam and Eve we all die. In Adam we all die. That's what it says. So, Adam was there. And whether he never taught her, or whether he didn't stop her, but that's what happened. He was passive. And look what happened to all mankind because of that. We're going back to Genesis three sixteen and 18. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. We already read that. Let's skip down to verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten thereof, which I command thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of their life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring it forth unto thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field." He's got, Adam, because you ate, because you ate, it's going to be sorrow. You're going to have sorrow on this earth. You're going to have droughts. You're going to have thorns. You're going to have sweat. You're going to have hard times. 
and you're going to return to the ground. That was the judgment. Why? Because he was passive. He let his wife eat, got talked into eating himself. And that's what happens when men are passive. Okay, let's get more real. Let's get more practical. Let's look at our own lives now. Okay? Next one. I want to look at Abraham and Sarah. Here's a time where a husband was passive. Or a silent contributor, I guess is the best way to put this one. Okay, so I'm in Genesis 16, and I want to look at the ramifications when husbands don't lead and when husbands don't rule. In Genesis 16, let me read verse 1 and 2. Now Sarah, her name hadn't been changed, she's Sarai, but I'm going to say Sarah. Abraham's wife bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. (coughs) And Sarah said to Abraham, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto thy handmaid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Okay, I know you know the end of the story, but how many people even think that's going to work out? Right? Do you really think God made a promise and it didn't happen in Sarah's time frame? So she said, God, I'm going to help you keep that promise. I know I've got this slave girl. I'm going to give that slave girl to my husband. They're going to have relations, and I'm going to be happy. And they're going to have a child, and that child's going to make me happy. You know who I blame? I blame Abraham. Abraham was given the responsibility for the marriage and the home, and he was passive, and he said, okay. And he complied with his wife. You know what he, now, it's so hard for me, because look back in history and look at Abraham and go, shoulda, woulda, coulda. And then I look up a mirror in my own life and all the times where I shoulda, woulda, coulda. Do you understand? So I don't do this in a way where I'm a self-righteous saying, I would never because I have. That's me. And there's plenty of times where, Deborah, okay, go ahead, right? And I'm not saying she does that. I'm not saying she does that all the time, but that's what Abraham did. And if I did it once, contrary to God's word, it was once too much, okay? Sandra, you're a delight to preach to. She's nodding like crazy. Thank you for the affirmation. All right? Big smile, nodding. She's right there. Okay, once is too much. All right, let me keep on reading, though. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her handmaid, the Egyptian, and Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. (coughs) Y'all, polygamy never worked out in the Bible. Not even once. There was wrangling going on between the women. There was wrangling going on between the kids. There was wrangling going on between the kids and the stepmothers or whatever you call that relationship. It was a mess every single time. Why? Because they were veering from God's plan. God's plan was one man, one woman, forever united together. Not one man, one woman, and a concubine. Got it? Anytime you deviate from God's plan, you're looking from trouble. You're a legalist. When it comes to marriage, I guess so. Okay? I'm a Bibleist. I hope I am. Okay? 
Verse 4, and he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon thee. Oh, notice that. Who's she blaming? Who's she blaming? She's blaming her husband, right? She's blaming her husband. Just like Abraham blamed her (laughs) when God said, why did you eat? It's the woman that you gave me, right? Buck passing is going on all over the place. Men to women, women to men. She said, it's him, it's you. My wrong be upon thee. It's your fault. You should have stopped me, right? I have given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. All right, well, we'll let God decide whether it's my fault or your fault. You know whose fault it was? It was Abraham's fault. Was it her dumb idea? Yes. But it hurt his dumb idea to comply. And it was ultimately, that's where the buck stopped was with dad, with husband. That's who God held responsible. And you know what? We can go to this very day and we see all the conflicts in the Middle East because of this decision. Notice the ramifications that keep going on because the husband was... Wore down. Didn't stand for God. Okay? That's one husband and wife team. Let's go to a second husband and wife team. Let's go to Isaac and Rebecca. Okay? Here's the problem. And I'm going to put this problem squarely on the shoulders of Isaac, the father, and the husband. Genesis 25 27. Uh, if, if you remember this, they, they were unable to have children for a long time and they finally had children. And they had a set of twins, Jacob and Esau. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. You got an inside boy and an outside boy, right? And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Jake, Rebecca loved Jacob. That's the problem right there. God, Abraham, no. Isaac should have stopped it right then. When he went to the field, he should have made Jacob go. But I don't want to go. Get your stuff, get your tent, get your sleeping bag. We're going to the woods. Right? He should have stopped it right there. That was dad's responsibility. He let it continue on. Do you understand? It was his fault. It was his responsibility. He was the one God held accountable. He let it go on. And then we go to Genesis 27. We're skipping forward a couple chapters. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak. Notice Rebekah didn't go, Honey, there's a promise that was made by God, and it looks like you're giving the wrong... No, she skipped all that step. She started taking care of business herself. I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord, before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Do that which I command thee. And we're going to see all the deception that happened afterwards by Rebekah to her husband. It was very interesting. It cost Rebekah. You know what it cost Rebecca? She never saw her son alive again. 
He got chased away. He left. She died. She never saw him again. So my point is, if Isaac would have stepped up and cut off that favoritism right at that, nipped it in the butt, do you realize that, yes, it might have caused some conflict then, but when you go down the road, guess what? It would have saved her a whole lot of heartache later on. It was his responsibility to step up and knock that favoritism off. Got it? Stop it. Cease it. Okay. Let's go to a couple of fathers. Let's go to a couple of fathers. How am I doing on time? Okay, Eli and his sons. <clears throat> now, Eli was uh, the second to the last judge. There was a time of about 400 plus years where Israel was being ruled by judges. Moses was the first one. Samuel was the last one. Eli was the second to the last one. So here he is. <clears throat> I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. <clears throat> here it is. Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial, and they knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came uh, while the flesh was seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. And all that the flesh brought up, the priest took, took for himself. Let me, let me try to get this. Ex- let's pretend this is the Old Testament. Let's pretend I'm a priest. And let's suppose Brother Richard comes and he brings a, a heifer, right? And the heifer is about ready to made for a sacrifice. And it's been all prepared to, for a burnt offering. And what they did is, if, if you remember, when they divvied out land, they didn't give any land to the Levites, they gave land to all the other tribes, and they say, the Levites, you don't get any land. You can't farm because your job is to be a priest. You're not supposed to be working out there in the secular profession. You're supposed to be doing the Lord's work. So when the offering is made, you've got this special hook with three prongs, and you take that thing and you go whack into that offering, and you pull it out. You only take one whack. You only use one prong. I'm sorry, one tool with three prongs. Don't use a four-prong tool. Use a three-prong tool, and you go in there and you you do that, and whatever meat comes up, that's what you do, and that's what you live on. Well, Eli's son weren't doing that. What they were doing is saying, "Forget this. Got a great big old knife. <laughs> Took a great big old backstrap or, or leg or the, the the rip. I don't know what he did, but whatever they did, they were taking more than what they were supposed to do, and they were hauling it away." And that's what they were doing with the offerings. And the people were watching this. Do you have the picture of what's going on? My description's probably terrible, but that's kind of what's going on. So they were doing more than that. So here we are. And verse 15. Also, before they burnt the fat, that the priest's servant came and said to the man at sacrifice, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord." So it looks like they were not only cutting off choice pieces using a, a different tool, but they were just taking it before it was even being offered up. And anyway, they were abusing it. Okay? Well, let's go on. 
Let's go to 1 Samuel 3.13. This is God speaking to Samuel, giving a message to Eli. For I have told him that I will judge his house for the ever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. In other words, the sons are now performing the priest offering. They're using this, they're taking the offerings in a way that was not allowed by the Lord. Eli, dad, knew about it, and he didn't say anything, and he didn't try to stop them. And God says, Eli, I'm blaming you. I'm blaming you. Now, it turned out that the sons were killed. And you think, oh. So by Eli not refraining his sons, would disappoint his sons, but by night, right, okay, but they're not disappointed, but they got killed. So there was deliverance in being a dad. It's just like you spank your kid for running in the street. Well, I can't spank my kid. Well, I can't let my, let my kid get run over by a car. But I'm going to swat them. Why? Because I don't want to get run over by a car. But they'll be disappointed in you. I don't care. I don't want to get run over by a car. See, that's an act of love. And dad wasn't showing the act of love. He was loving himself more by avoiding the confrontation. Okay? And then let's go to David and his sons. David was a mighty man. I wouldn't want to face that kind of dark alley. I wouldn't face him on a battlefield. But that's what happened. He was a whip when it came to his sons. I'm in 2 Samuel 13, 21 and 22. This is, uh, um, <clears throat> this is when his son, Abs- Ab- no, Amnon, raped a woman. Okay, That's what happened. His son raped a woman. But when King David heard of all these things, his son raped a woman, he was very wroth. And Absalom spake unto Amnon, neither good or bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he hated and he forced his sister Tamar. Amnon raped Tamar. And David got mad, but he didn't do anything. Do you realize all the drama that went on in the house? in the kingdom, and in the nation, because David did nothing. Absalom, the brother of the woman that got killed, Amon, right? Split the kingdom, caused a civil war. All because dad didn't step up and do what dad should have done. Should have come down hard on that boy. I mean, terribly hard on that boy. But he did it. David! A man's man, right? Let's see. Let's look at another son. Oh, Second Samuel thirteen twenty nine and thirty. And all the servants of Absalom did unto Ammon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man get him upon his mule and fled. And it came to pass, while they were in the way, the tidings came to David, and Absalom hath slain all the king's sons, and there is none one left of them. This Absalom, not only did he get Amnon, he got a whole bunch of David's sons. Why? Because David didn't stand up and do what he should have done. Do you understand? Do you understand when, when, when a father doesn't do what he's supposed to do, how it just kind of just dominoes forward? Here's another son, a man named Ananijah. This happens to be Absalom's brother. And this is what it says about him. He was doing some things that weren't right. 
And God's inspired word says, and his father, that's David, had not displeased him, this is Adonijah, at any time saying, why hast thou done so? Okay? Now, I'm blessed. I've got four grandsons here in this congregation right now. And we got one there with two boys. And we got one there with two more boys. Sorry, I'm not leaving you daughter-in-laws out. I have no doubt you'll say, why hast thou done this? But just can you imagine at age one month, two years, four years, and six years, can you imagine in all those six years or all those four years, my sons never said, boy, why did you do that? Can you imagine what kind of terrors you would have on your hands? Yeah, and my son said, well, I'm afraid. I don't want them to not like me. Or I don't want to them to be disappointed. I want... Who are they loving when they say, I don't want them not to like me? They're not loving the kid. They're setting him up for failure. You know what they're loving? They're loving themselves because they want to avoid the confrontation. So guess what? Grandpa's going to do some confrontation. And it's not with the grandsons. It's going to be with my boys. Boys, you got to step up. you got to be a father. Do you love the kids? Be a father. I love them. you got to step up. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because that's where their responsibility is. So that's what happens when husbands don't lead, and that's what happens when fathers don't lead. It's trouble down the road. That's God's design. And let me finish up with a couple verses here. Oh, oh, oh here's one more. I've got to read. 2 Samuel 23, verse 5. David is pretty close to the end of his life. And he's kind of like writing his swan song. And this is what he says. He said, the Lord used me mightily. I was a king and I conquered armies. I was inspired. I wrote some of God's word through the Psalms. He says, he used me mightily. But, there's always that but. He says, but, although my house was not so with God. He says, when I come to fathering, I miss the mark. I missed it big time. So he's on his... He's not on his deathbed, but he's pretty close. He's pretty much way into retirement. He's handed over the duties of just about everything. And he says, I messed up as a father. I didn't do what I should have done as a father. Usually when I do a sermon, I tell you what I'm going to tell you. I tell it to you, and then I tell you what I told you. I'm in the last part right now. We came together where God has a design for marriage and a household and family. And he made man and woman different, and I'm thankful for the differences. Together they come together and they nurture a child in the way a child would do. They need both. Amen? They need both all the way up. But the responsibility is on dad. The responsibility is on the husband. Even if you delegate to your wife, which sometimes is okay, but God is still going to hold you responsible. That responsibility is yours. And when it is not done that way, whether it's be done through a commune, or it's done through a village, or it's done through the secular feministic ideology, it's not God's pattern. And guess what? It ain't working. There are thousands, millions of young men out there that don't know what a father is, don't know what a husband is, 
They don't know. They haven't experienced one. They wouldn't recognize it. If one came up and bit them on the nose, they wouldn't have any idea what it is. And they're looking for other places to find them. Gangs. Those are the families. They got people that'll tell them what to do there. Our system is so broken down. And a man that steps up and starts doing and leading like the way God would have him lead, like Christ leads the church, it's called toxic masculinity and it's tried to be squashed. We've got to fight that culture and we've got to do it God's way.